You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. I want to tell you about my father-in-law. Mother's Day, for me, is one of the reminders, is a reminder of my father-in-law, because as a family, for so many years, when we would gather for our Mother's Day celebration, my father-in-law was there. And he passed away some years ago. He is now um, with the Lord, and I miss him. And, you know, it seems like every holiday is a, is a bittersweet experience for many of us. There's, there's joy involved, but there's usually, you know, loss or pain or, or difficulty involved, too, at times. And I miss him. And my father-in-law was an optometrist, and a very good one, and had a very successful practice. And since I dated my wife, Jamie, since we were high school students, when we were boyfriend and girlfriend in high school, I began getting eye appointments. I've had eye appointments my whole life, thanks to my optometrist father-in-law. And I remember when I was seeing him in my 20s for, for my eye checks every so often, I remember him saying, the day is going to come when you're gonna need glasses. And I'd always had 20-20 vision up to that point, and I remember thinking, yeah, nah, not gonna happen. I'm never gonna need glasses. And he said, yeah, he knew how I thought. And he said, oh yeah, you will. He said, probably in your mid to late 30s, you're gonna begin to need glasses. You sit in front of a computer often, and to help reduce eye strain, even if your vision is still 20-20, I'm gonna prescribe you glasses. That day is gonna come. Well, that day did come in my mid-30s, and I began wearing these. And I've discovered since then um, that I have unveiled a conspiracy, and maybe the rest of you have as well. I've exposed it. I'm convinced it's real. They are now making labels smaller (laughs) on everything. For instance, this last week I got out a credit card that I need to call on because someone had gotten a hold of my number and bought lots of things in California in my name. And I'm trying to find the number, and I can't read it. And I've never had a hard time reading the number on the back of the credit card till now. So I'm convinced there is a conspiracy going on. But that aside, eyesight matters, does it not? And when it comes to our own sight, over time, for most of us, as we age, there's this gradual loss of our ability to see. It's gradual, it's subtle, you oftentimes don't notice it, but it does happen. And it does beg the question when we look at this passage that we're gonna dive into today in the Gospel of Luke, how is our corporate eyesight? Because again, this goes back to this timeless truth that Jesus continues to teach us over and over again. You have to have ears to be able to hear him and understand him and truly listen to him. And you have to have eyes to be able to truly see him and recognize him for who he is. So do you? Do you really see Jesus? Do I really see Jesus for who he is? And if we take that a step further, this passage will go on to emphasize today that it's not just how you see Jesus. If you do see him and recognize him as Savior and Lord, you have received him into your life through a personal relationship with him, then others are gonna begin to see you differently because they're gonna see Christ in you. And really, this isn't just an individual challenge for us today, it really is a corporate challenge, and it really is a very relevant passage for us to look at on a Sunday like Vision Sunday, because it begs the question, how do people see us as a church? And what I love about Vision Sunday is it's like a trip to the optometrist for us as a church family, as we very necessarily step back and look at, okay, 
Are we helping people see Jesus through how we live, through what we do, through how we worship? And yes, arguably throughout the course of the year, by design, the preaching team and I very deliberately, with input from you and the elders and our leadership, talk about vision. We're constantly looking for where is God working and how can we join join that? You know, we're not trying to call God in to bless our plans, but rather we're constantly trying to align ourselves with him. So we talk vision all the time, all year by design, but this is the one Sunday of the year where we really focus and look at, okay, big picture, how does God seem to be leading us and what does he seem to be doing? And this text that we go to today is such a powerful text to do that. Because if you've been with us in this Gospel of Luke, you know that we're at a point here in Luke's Gospel where we're beginning to see opposition to Jesus. We saw this last week. Jesus has these critics among the religious leaders as well as just people in the crowd who are being openly critical and really attacking him because they're accusing him of casting out demons from people using Satan's power of all things. And if you were with us last week, Jesus systematically dismantles that argument and says, you know, that's ridiculous, and basically exposes that for the fallacy that it is. And once again, he tries to help them see who he is, and once again, he will do that again today. And he is basically going to do that by arguing from what is known as the lesser to the greater, in that he's gonna reach back into Israel's history and for all the Jewish listeners in that crowd, he's gonna say, okay, do you remember when the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, as it's talked about in our passage today, came to hear Solomon and his wisdom? Okay, do you remember then when the prophet Jonah, you know, the one who got swallowed by the fish and that one, Jonah was called to go to the Ninevites and he actually went to the Ninevites and they actually listened to him and repented. And now here I am. I am now something greater than Jonah, and you're not going to listen to me? And by the way, this is not a compliment. The Ninevites were the Assyrians, eventually. They were the first world superpower who were cruel, bloodthirsty, ruthless. They repented for a time, but then they didn't, and they became something awful. So for him to say, boy, the Ninevites get it and you don't, Not a real compliment. In fact, that's a judgment on them. Because this wasn't an issue of doubt and trying to figure out legitimately who Jesus was. This was an issue of unbelief. This is struggling to believe. This is, I will not believe. I refuse to believe. And so Jesus, once again, is staring into that. And he begins to talk about this idea of light. And just in these handful of verses, there's some powerful truths that we're going to look at together here as a church family. So open your Bible to Luke chapter 11. Turn that on in your tablet or phone. And uh, we'll go there. And this is where we're at. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. So Jesus reaches for this analogy that everybody in the first century would have totally understood. And we get it too. Light illuminates, it reveals, it guides. Consider this. You're out camping. You're away from the light pollution of our city, or any city for that matter. And when it gets dark, it's dark, right? Or when you're out in the woods, when it gets dark, it is dark. No question about it. How are you going to see? 
you light a candle, and all of a sudden, you have illumination, or you light a lantern in our I guess in our example, and it lights up your whole camping area. You know, when we used to go camping with our kids when they were little guys, I remember going to Fort Stevens, and despite all the campsites around there, it still gets really dark there, especially when it's not a, not a moonlit night. And I remember lighting our lantern and putting it on the center of the table, just like Jesus is talking about here, and I went off to the bathroom to brush my teeth and come back. Everyone else had gone to bed, and I came back, and the lantern had burned out. And it was pitch black. And so I'm trying to find my tent, and I tripped over one of the tent, tent lines. Boom, you know, fall down, wake everybody up. And Jamie says, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just checking the lines to make sure the tent is stable. You know, I get in there, and she says, you fell, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did. This is, this is one of those no-duh illustrations, right? Yes, okay, we all get that. Okay, now this is going to become very personal with where Jesus is going to take that. Look at all that. Look at all the second person singular in here. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. He makes this very, very personal. And basically, we've all heard the, you know, the, the cliche, you are what you eat. What Jesus is saying here is, you are what you see. If you are receiving input from the Lord, then you're healthy. But if you're receiving input from the brokenness of our world, the sinfulness, the selfishness, the brokenness, then then you're not, you're unhealthy. Which brings forth this idea that we need to think critically and wisely about the input we're receiving in our lives. Specifically to this, what are you watching? What are you you taking in? What What are you and I absorbing? And in our information age, my land, it's not a question of do we have enough information. We have too much, right? We are inundated with information. And really, this takes us back a couple chapters to Mary and Martha. You remember that story where really the bottom line truth there that Jesus was trying to teach is that time with him is a priority. And the same is true for us. This isn't about a lack of information. It's about prioritizing it and being very deliberate that we are taking in, that we are watching, we are seeing, we are absorbing that which develops our intimacy with God, which makes us more like him, which allows his light to enter our lives, which, by the way, he then takes this to another level and has a very serious statement here. Make sure the light within you is not darkness. And he's speaking very pointedly to his critics. Ironically, Some of them were the religious leaders of the day, and man, is he gonna go after them, very necessarily so, in the verses that are gonna follow what we're looking at today. Ironically, they're supposed to be leading people to God, and they're leading people away from God and suffocating their spirituality with empty religion. And that's some of the darkness that he's referring to here, but the bottom line is you better make sure that you are allowing God's light to come into your life because there's all sorts of darkness. Ignorance is a form of darkness, not, not recognizing, not realizing who Jesus really is and what you're missing out on by not knowing him and loving him and being in relationship with him. There's the darkness of unbelief, which is absolutely on display in this passage. There's also the darkness of disobedience. You know, those statements that come to mind where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Or if you love me, you will obey me, and on it goes. But the bottom line here is about welcoming his light into our lives. Jesus will get 
Once again, very direct about this in Luke 19, verse 9, he will say, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And again, it's this idea of us groping around in our, in our darkness, settling for sin and brokenness and selfishness and making life all about us and assuming and thinking, boy, that's just as good as it's gonna get. No, it could be so much better if we would enter into right relationship with this God who wants to bless us, who wants us to stop settling for brokenness, stop settling for selfishness, stop settling for making life all about us. It starts with repentance, which we talked about last week, which Jesus continually talks about. It's a defining moment where you change your mind and therefore your values and actions and behavior and really your heart begins to change. It's that defining moment when you cross over from death to life by recognizing and realizing who Jesus is and welcoming his light into your life by welcoming him. And interestingly, one of the messages in this is so often we think about sin and how our brokenness affects us and the consequences that we suffer when we don't believe God, when we don't trust God, when we are selfish, or when we gravitate back to the sinfulness that we continually are trying to free ourselves from. But our sin also hurts those around us. And that's one of the points here, is this idea of being like rats who scurry around in the dark, and then when the flashlight beam hits us, we run back into the darkness because we're afraid to be exposed, but we don't think beyond that, that there are consequences when we don't welcome his light into our lives. People around us suffer. And that's what this is about in part, is confronting the sin in our lives by welcoming his light, because once we do so, then we shine his light. Look what he says here. Your whole body will be full of light when you, when you welcome me which brings us right back to where we started. So when people look at you, when they look at me, what do they see? Do they see the light of Jesus Christ shining through what we say, what we do, who we are, what we value, what our priorities are? What a great question for us to ask as a church and a necessary one. Because so often we think as individuals, we, we apply God's truth to our lives, and we absolutely should, but there's always a corporate dimension to what God's word is talking about as well, especially for us as the church. What is the mission we're called to? Say it with me, those of you who know it, to love God, to love people, and by the way, we just summarized the whole Bible, right? To reach people and to develop people. That in part comes from Matthew 28 where Jesus' last recorded words we have before he ascended to heaven to his disciples were this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All the language in those verses is corporate. It's all plural. It's all y'all. We do that we fulfill that mission as the church, not just as individuals. So it's absolutely fundamentally important for us to take some time and think about that wisely, necessarily, as a church family. So if you're, if you're new to Grace, if this is your first Sunday, and I know for some of you it is because I got to meet you before the service, you've picked a great Sunday to come because you're about to hear the heartbeat of the people around you and the church that God has, has called us to be. And we're gonna spend 
some time now talking about where God seems to be taking our church, so let's get after it. This is good stuff. This church has been around for 37 years. Easter was our 37-year birthday. And there are some of you who were here 37 years ago when this church was started. And so the, the vision was that if God so blessed, if God so provided the resources and the opportunity, that someday this church would be a church of around 1,000 to 1,200 people, give or take. Guess what? We're there. On any given Sunday, all souls between our four services that we have, the three here on Sunday morning and the one in, on Sunday afternoon that is our Spanish service with Comunidad, there are anywhere between 850 to over 1,000 of us who are, who are here in worship. Now, if everybody showed up on the same Sunday, we probably wouldn't have room for everybody between those four services, maybe. But, you know, we get days like this and we're probably closer to 850 today, right? Because it's sunny and a lot of people are out playing in the sun and what have you. But a good litmus test for this is you can tell when we're gonna run over 1,000 on any given Sunday, it's when you can't find parking this service. And some of you have experienced that. When you're struggling to find parking, nah, everybody decided to come to church that day, pretty much. <laughs> but that's, that's where we're at. This facility was built for a church this size. We built this facility to house and resource a church of about 1,000 to 1,200 people, which is pretty awesome. Also part of this 37-year vision was the recognition that there are churches in this community that are far larger than Grace. God bless them. And there are a number of churches that are smaller than Grace. But there weren't many churches at the time that were around this size. And now we are. There's one other church in our community that I'm aware of that's about our size. So we believe very strongly there is a niche for a church our size. And we've still got some room to grow. But actually our growth these last couple years is beginning to cool a little bit and beginning to level out because we're not at capacity, but, but we're getting there. And I think that's pretty awesome. What a great problem to have. And please understand, we, we haven't arrived, but we have matured. And this is the implication that's before us. Do you know, do I know, when churches are most susceptible to atrophy and regression and inward focus and eventual decline, it's in seasons like this. Because all of a sudden, churches get comfortable. I was talking with a dying church earlier this year where they were just thinking about their long history and going back to when did they begin to decline? When did they begin to lose sight of what God had called them to be? When did they begin to be become inward and obsessed with comfort and obsessed with what they wanted and less about reaching those around them by bringing the kingdom, by loving them and serving them? And well, it was in a season very similar to this, a season of vitality and growth. They, they just got comfortable. And so our goal has always been and will continue to be to be a healthy church. We don't want to be the largest church in Gresham. We don't want to be the cool church. We don't want to be the happening church, but we do want to be a healthy church because healthy churches grow. And the church is the hope of the world through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I'm glad you do because we are. So where do we go from here? Well, that's a really good question. 
there's three things in particular I'd like us to talk about. They are not explicit in this passage, but they are an application to the truths that Jesus is teaching in this passage. And here's the first. We always want to be unapologetically about introducing people to Jesus and telling people about Jesus. And it is such an interesting time for us to be in as a church in our American culture. And our culture, in fairness, never was a Christian culture, but there was a predominant Judeo-Christian worldview that largely is declining and isn't real present, especially in our neck of the woods here in the Northwest anymore. So in light of that, one of the ways that we look for these opportunities to declare Jesus is to love people. And that's always been the agenda, has been to love people. But that involves listening to people, hearing their, hearing their stories without an agenda other than to just love them. And some of you necessarily will ask us as a leadership, you know, why do we do things like the community Christmas party at Advent Conspiracy? When we bring VBS back next summer with whatever it looks like, expanded or in its more developed form, what, why do we do that? Why do we do a community garden? Why do we invest all these resources? And there's a lot of resources that go into those outreach entities. Why do we do that? Because we're building relationships with the community, because we love this community, because we want to meet real needs in this community, and because we're not just good people doing good things. We are hopeful people. Because, quite frankly, we have the cure for the spiritual cancer that every single person has. Because the reality is, everyone is going to live forever. Have you ever thought about that? Everyone's gonna live forever. The real question is, are they gonna live forever in the presence of God, or are they gonna live forever in the presence of darkness, eternally separated from God? The Bible calls it spiritual death. All of us will face physical death until Jesus comes back, and then that's finally done too. But until then, everyone is, has to confront this reality of spiritual death. And it, it's like a spiritual cancer. It's fatal. It's, it, it's coming everyone's way unless they have found the cure. And the only cure is not religion. The only cure is not being a better person. The only cure is not trying to um, be a more spiritual person. The only cure is a relationship with Jesus Christ, right relationship with God through his son Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Folks, we have the cure. Now think about this another way. If you had the cure for cancer, and I know there are many different kinds of cancer, unfortunately, in this broken world we live in, but if you had the cure for cancer, would you really keep that to yourself? I mean, would I really not tell anybody? Of, of course I would. So when God is at work, not if, he always is at work, when God is at work and he gives you the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, do you feel ready to do that? Do you know how to do that? Not in a canned way or a manipulative way, but, but in an authentic way. I know a number of you do, but I wonder how many of you aren't quite so sure. One of the things that's ahead of us as a church is you're gonna see us even more deliberately give you some tools to be able to be ready when God gives you the opportunity, not if, but when he gives you the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. 
You know, one of the things we do with our global short-term teams that are going out this summer is every single person is walked through a process that enables them to, to think wisely through how to tell their Jesus story when they get the opportunity to. We call it the elevator story. If you were stuck in an elevator for two minutes, it's a big building. It's taking a long time, right? And you had the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, could you, would you? How would you? And many of us just have never thought about that. And so I can guarantee you, this is how our God seems to work. When the Holy Spirit serves up those opportunities to tell someone about Jesus, it will be inconvenient. You will not have time. Your head will not be there. You won't be expecting it, and you'll get the chance. Happens to me all the time. Oh, you're a pastor? What's that? What do, what do you do? Um, right? Wow, that's really impressive. Thanks for telling me that, right? But do you know how? To make the most of every opportunity Jesus gives you, man, we'd sure love to help you. In fact, we are going to make sure that we all have more opportunity to do just that because we feel ready to do that. But also is this idea, this value of discipleship, and let's define terms real quick. Really, discipleship is that process of becoming more and more like Jesus as you love him, as you follow him, as you trust him, as you obey him. But there is a mentorship piece to discipleship where you are very deliberately investing your life into someone else's life. And there are a number of you who are doing this, but again, we'd like to see this more systematized, more focused, more intentional for us as a church family. You know, I, it, it will not let go of me the reality that, that as a man, 50% now of the families in our culture do not have a dad who is present in some way, shape, or form. Dad has never been on the scene. Dad has left the scene. Dad is on the scene, but he's passive and uninvolved or never around. We have now a couple generations that are growing up, many of them, without a dad. Who's, gonna, who's going to reach into their lives and tell them what it means to be a godly man? Let's just park the dad part for a minute. What does it mean to be a godly man? So these boys or men come to know Jesus how are they supposed to know what it is to be a godly man if no one's ever showed them? Who's going to show them? How about you? Ladies, it's Mother's Day. And mothers, we love you and we celebrate you, but there are a lot of you who carry wounds from the relationship with, with your mother. And we have a generation of women who are growing up with, without many of them godly role models of what it means to be a godly mother or a godly woman. Who's gonna teach them how to do that? A number of you ladies do, but again, this is about focusing and furthering what we're already doing and deepening it very intentionally. But then there's this value of leadership development. If the church is the hope of the world, then leaders are the hope of the church. It has always been that way. And thankfully, we are an intergenerational church, and I hope and expect that we always will be, but we want to invite more of our younger leaders into leadership here at Grace. We want to create more avenues for folks to be able to learn what it is to lead and to do that in a safe place, where it's safe to fail, where it's safe to fall on your face, which we all do, but to be able to learn from that and grow and assume more responsibility and more, more impact. 13 years ago, when you called me as your lead pastor, Yes, I had been a pastor for 13 years prior to that. I had never been a lead pastor. You rolled the dice on a very young, unproven lead pastor and gave a young pastor a chance to, to love you and serve you and, and help lead this church with our other leaders. 
We, we have a heritage of developing younger leaders. Man, we need to continue that and to be even more intentional about that. And all these things I've just talked to you about are prioritized in this budget that we're now um, looking at together. And again, if you're a guest, you're getting to listen in on a family conversation here, and boy, you're sure welcome to. But let me walk you through this just real quickly, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna fly through this because I wanna save um, the bulk of your questions and input, especially for our, our Q&A time next Sunday. But right now, we're in a very unique position as a church because for years and years and years, we've never had concern about our budget. In 2008, when the economy went south, everybody was necessarily concerned about their budget, including us. We were in a hard spot. But we've, we've consistently met budget for a lot of years until this year. And it's just weird because there are more of you giving to the mission and vision than, than ever before. But for some reason, we have this 5% gap between our giving and where our budget needs to be in this current year. So we are going to be phasing in this, this budget process that we normally just start in September with a new budget. So this is what it looks like. So our focus, for as long as it takes, is going to be this current budget is um, replenishing our savings that we've had to dig into a little bit in order to make ends meet right now. We're controlling things on the expense side and have been all year, but our giving really does need to grow to where it needs to be, and that's gonna be our focus. We'll continue to control expenses. We'll continue to grow our giving. And we'll ask, again, for those of you who don't give consistently to the mission of vision here at Grace to join the rest of us that do, because it matters. All the things we've talked about matter with that. And let me just say this. I know that with this and Grace Unleashed, which we'll get to in a minute, there's been a lot of money talk this year, and necessarily so, because we're talking about Grace Unleashed or we're talking about our budget that we're struggling to meet. And there's a line that we walk as a leadership, and I just, I want you to appreciate this. We love you, and we value the trust that you have in us, and we all have this spectrum of comfortability about talking about money in church, right? But we value your trust. These are resources, your resources, that's why we talk about them. That's why we have a monthly budget update. And by the way, you asked for those monthly budget updates many years ago, and we have, we have incorporated those into the life of our church because it's our resources, and we want you to see where God is working and how he's using these resources. So we get that there's been a lot of money talk this year, and we're trying to balance that with giving you good information and, and the trust that, um, that we've earned from you. We always want to have open communication with you and, and be in a good spot with that. But I know it's been a lot of talk about money, and, and we get that. But as we look at what the second phase of this is going to be is in September, we're going to have basically a zero increase budget in that we have some hard costs that we're going to assume with our facility costs, what have you. We'll, we'll take those on because we have to. But there's going to be a step-by-step -step implementation of this budget we were originally proposing to you. Originally, it was a 5.1% increase. That really is irrelevant now because we're going to phase it in. I don't know that it's going to be that much. We'll only phase in what we can afford. But you've seen from what we mailed out to you and have made available to you on the resource table and in the back where we'd like to go with this budget. It captures these values of evangelism and mentorship and leadership development. But we're not going to do that until we have the resources to do so. And again, there are a number of you who want data and you want spreadsheets and man, God bless you. David Learwick, our administrator, his email is on the documentation we sent to you. He would love to email you the budget so you can see spreadsheets and figures and God bless you. There are a number of you though who could care less. 
And so we're trying to communicate with a spectrum of you and to make as many resources as available to you as we can because we value your trust. But folks, let me, let me just say this and then, uh, and then we'll be on to some other things. If you're new to Grace, you're going, what in the heck is Grace Unleashed? Grace Unleashed these last couple years has been our focus as a church family to try to reduce or eliminate our mortgage on this facility. It will come up for um, refinancing here in September. And so far, we are almost halfway there. I mean, which is, that's, that's a ton of money that you've given above and beyond the mission and vision giving here to help us take a bite out of that mortgage. And I haven't given up on us eliminating it. God can do whatever he wants in the next handful of months. It could go away. At the very least, we're gonna take a big bite out of it. Why does that matter? This is why in part it matters. When we built this second floor many years ago, 2007 to be exact, one of the visions we had for this was not just to serve us, but to serve the community and to serve the greater church family here in our community. And I'm so happy to tell you that because of the second floor two weeks ago, we've been able to take in a church that's basically rebirthing, starting over. It's called Generations Church. They're about 70 people strong, kids, adults, students. And they now meet on Sunday evenings later today. They will meet upstairs in our student ministry room on the second floor because they had no other place to go. And they came to us and said, do you have room for us? And we said, yes, we have room for you. And so we will be able to resource them for the course of this summer until they can find another facility they're hoping to launch into a, a school, um, you know, this fall. Couldn't have done that without the second floor. And Grace Unleashed Resources, you know, that's all because of that second floor and that's, that's where those resources go is to pay for that, that mortgage. That's been our hill the last couple years. But it's time for a new hill as a church family. And this is the new hill and this is what's gonna fuel it. We do a demographic survey of our, our city and our area every year. And it's, the data comes from the US Census Bureau and three other entities. And we pay real close attention to that. It's very comprehensive. Even for you spreadsheet people, it's more data than you'd ever wanna know. But this is what you need to appreciate. Many times I will get asked, do we really need another church in Gresham? You look around, you see church buildings, you hear about church plants, what have you. But folks, here's the reality. Within a three-mile radius of grace, based on demographic studies, 70 to 75% of the people who live within three miles of this church do not know Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. And then we ask ourselves, does Gresham really need another church? Seriously? Yes, we do. Why is that in part our responsibility? We are a healthy church. We are a unified church. We are a united church, and God has blessed us with resources. And we not only have a responsibility, we have an opportunity to do something tangibly about that. So what is the next hill we're going after as a church family these next couple years? Somehow, we're gonna further the greater church, capital C, here in Gresham, not just by having another church meet in our facility like we're doing right now. We're gonna plant a church, we're gonna launch a satellite campus, we're gonna take over a dying church, we're gonna birth a church within our walls here and then spin it out. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but this is what I do know. We're gonna do our part to bring the kingdom to East County and to Gresham, and we're gonna do it together. And we're gonna do it because God has blessed us 
to do so. So that's what we're going to do. Let me leave you with this out of Ephesians. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Lord, I pray for each person here, and I thank you for them, and I pray that we would all go from here in the power of your Holy Spirit to live out the life that you have called us to and to love people the way you have first loved us. Thank you for this time to be together. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day, moms, and we hope to see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.